people, by and large, love to play the blame game after they sin. Here's Pastor Ed with a thought about taking responsibility for our behavior. So when I choose to play the blame game, when I choose not to take personal responsibility, when I choose to deflect all of my behavior onto someone else, then I am in deep sin because I've been restored. I've been restored to a relationship with God. I'm no longer a rebel. I'm no longer fighting him. I'm no longer under the wrath of God. And I'm telling you, so much can be solved and stopped and so many arguments could stop if today as a believer in Jesus, you would just take responsibility for your behavior. It is not always someone else's fault. Perhaps at times, there could be a, a waiting, you know, 90, 10, 80, 20, perhaps. But even so, take responsibility for the 20. This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will be taking us through the latter half of Genesis chapter 3. Now, this chapter is a crucial part of Scripture because it explains why the world is the way it is. In a word, sin. And today, we'll begin to see the results of sin as well as the way out. God has an answer to our sin problem, and you can be an overcomer. Here with the exciting details is Pastor Ed on Abounding Grace. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is a very important chapter in all of the Bible. It reveals to us the roots of all the pain and suffering that so many are enduring today. It relates to us what happened from when God declared everything good and then the disaster that follows, sin and death and destruction. So in chapter 3, let's pick up in verse 9. It, well, really, let's pick up in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? You might want to mark that phrase. God reaching out to Adam. Where are you? Why are they hiding? And why have they chosen to cover themselves? What, what, what is it about them that has, that has happened that now they're no longer drawn to God, but rather they're running away from Him? Well, they had an awareness now. They had an awareness of the reality of their lives. They have an awareness that their works were still not good enough. They're covering themselves, but their works to cover were still not good enough to bring them into the pleasant presence of the Lord. And God's heart is broken, and he is now pursuing his creation. Now, back in verse 8, remember, it says that they heard the sound of the Lord. They heard about him walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and their response was hiding themselves. Some commentators, I wanted to share this with you, some commentators see this as an effect of sin. 
And the effect of sin that they point out is that they say kind of like a phrase, Adam and Eve went dark. And what they mean by that is now they're hearing things, but they're not seeing things. They're not living in the fullness of reality that they once had. They aren't able to see things the way they used to see things. Everything is now distorted, and their hearts just went dark. They closed up instead of living an open life. And what it implies is that prior to the fall, prior to sin, Adam and Eve enjoyed sweet fellowship with the Lord. Remember that word fellowship. It's the same in the Hebrew as it is in the Greek. It means relation. You just think of relationship. The idea in the Greek word is to share in common. So, so now because of their sin, they're trying to take care of themselves or they're ashamed, they're covering themselves, they're running away, they're hiding, but they still hear. They still hear the voice of God. And it just reminded me in our own context today that it was, it's, it's a wise decision to purposely stay away from sin at all costs. To stay away because it breaks relationship and it causes you to go dark. You're not who you were meant to be when you live with unconfessed, unrepentant sin. It's been the theme uh, in our Bible studies over the last few weeks. You go dark. Notice the answer in verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. That's a new emotion. That wasn't there before. Prior to sin, there was no fear of God to run away. It says, I, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And so all of these changes came, and, and he says, I didn't want to face you. Everything just happened. It just came upon it. Just instantly, I had all of these feelings, all of these responses, and, and I didn't want to be near you, Adam says. I was afraid naked. I feel with shame now. And so it's interesting in verse 11, God says, well, who told you? Who told you all this? Where'd you learn this from? How do you know? Which many people will come right here in the beginning of Genesis and say, wait a minute. So God doesn't know everything. He has to ask Adam for information so he can learn what happened in the garden. And there actually is a theology today that was popular maybe about 10 years ago. It's real popular on some seminary campuses now, but I haven't heard much about it in the last few years. It is a false theology of open theism, open theism. And I don't want to go into depth on it right now, but the open theist says that God learns what's going on at the same time you learn it which isn't God to me. <laughs> like if God doesn't know what I don't know, we're both in trouble. And of course, God is omniscient and he knows all things. And, and they will come to passages like this and say, well, here, see, this is an example. God doesn't know. And he has to ask Adam to find out what happened because he wasn't there and he doesn't know. And it's simply not true. I'll give you an illustration of what's happening here. Because what's happening here in its most basic explanation is that God is asking questions of Adam so that Adam might come to the realization of what happened. That Adam is going to learn right now. He's leading him. Uh, philosophically, you know, you, when you lead with questions, there is a way that you're drawing information out. So what he's doing is he's drawing information out. And, and let's just go to the classroom. Some of you are teachers. Let's just go to a first grade classroom. 
And in a first grade classroom, the teacher goes to the whiteboard, stands with the marker there, and says, okay, kids, we're going to learn some math today. Okay, yay, we're going to learn math. And so she, she writes on the board two plus two and then puts the line under it and say, okay, kids, two plus two, what's the answer? Is she asking the question because she doesn't know the answer? She hasn't by now doesn't know two plus two? No, she's leading them in a path of self-discovery. She knows what two plus two is. But through the process, two plus two equals, ah, uh, what is it? And as they answer four, they're answering something that she already knows. So God has the knowledge of what happened here for sure. But the questions were for them to bring out as they face more changes, harsh and horrible, as they begin to experience death and decay that's just up ahead, as they begin to see the leaves turn brown and animals' carcasses and, and vicious, you know, attacks between the... When they begin to experience everything that's up ahead, God is preparing them. He's revealing to them of their current condition. God wants them to know where they came from. And God wants them to know where they're going. And it's an important question. You need to understand what you, what you're telling me right now is something. Remember, God, we're learning that God forbids sin because it's good for us. He's thinking of us. And you could say here that what God is doing is saying, who told you this? Because I purposely didn't tell you this so that you wouldn't be harmed or hurt. I told you stay away from that. You, you ate of the tree, didn't you? Yes, we ate of the tree. And immediately, there's fellowship and agreement. They're running away. They're trying to hide. They're trying to take things, you know, with the fig leaves and hide their nakedness. And they're running away. And what does God do? He pursues them. And then through conversation, he draws them back to himself. And now they agree with him again. They agree that they made the wrong decision, or at least that they did. They don't quite agree that they made the wrong decision, as you'll see in a moment. But they do agree that they disobeyed. And I want you to think of this perspective here, especially those that struggle with ongoing temptation, ongoing sin. I want you to think of this not as a harsh father or a harsh pastor who's trying to bang the pulpit and condemn you for your horrible behavior. That's not, I believe, the heart of God here at all. It's not the heart of God ever in Christ Jesus. I want you to see this in the tone of voice, because we don't have the tone of voice in the Bible I want you to read this and hear this in the tone of voice of a broken-hearted God. Broken-hearted that here they, they lived all this time in fellowship and relationship and now they lost it all. And forever things are going to be changed. Everything is going to be wrecked. It's almost as if you could say, oh, Adam, Eve, what have you done? What have you done? That's, I think, the tone of voice here. Verse 12. Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well, there's a lot of things that you can call this. Uh, one of them is blame, you know, playing the blame game. But there is a familiar psychological term that's used to describe this particular behavior. And by the way, it existed before psychology discovered it. And that is the word deflection. This is a great example of deflection. 
Instead of taking personal responsibility for their own behaviors, they first chose to blame someone else and then simply agree that they made the wrong decision, but not take ownership that they sinned. Because, I mean, the proper answer to this is, the man said, I sinned against you, God. Please forgive me. That's the proper way. But instead, he blames the woman. Now, we do get hung up on that, and we do get a couple cheap laughs in our marriages. It's the woman you gave me. It's the woman you gave me. But I do believe we need to read a little bit farther than that to get the actual blame that's taking place here. He is not blaming Eve primarily. He's blaming God. And you say, Ed, where is that? Well, notice, the woman that you gave to be with me. Ultimately, the blame is being placed on God. It's almost as if Adam is saying, if you didn't give me this woman, I wouldn't have been in trouble. I was just fine without her. But we know that he wasn't fine without her. God declared that it's not good that a man should be alone, that she was a gift to Adam, that this was God's heart to bless him and encourage him. But this is what sin does. It causes us not to walk in the truth. It causes us to walk in darkness. It causes us to blame everyone, but take, instead of taking personal responsibility and if we're ever going to solve the problems that are among us, we must first take personal responsibility for our own behavior. If there's any secondary causes, any other issues, we can only deal with them after we take personal responsibility. And of course, our culture doesn't like that. So you also live in a culture that's very victimized. So now everything is, is interpreted of, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, everything's done to me, I can't do anything. If it wasn't done to me, I'd be a better person. So it's, it's the Garden of Eden right here. Different words different philosophies of thinking, but it's exactly the root cause of the fall of man is not taking responsibility. So what does that tell me? That tells me as a believer in Jesus Christ, God has made me whole. I am restored into fellowship. I'm a new creation. So when I choose to play the blame game, when I choose not to take personal responsibility, when I choose to deflect all of my behavior onto someone else, then I am in deep sin. Because I've been restored. I've been restored to a relationship with God. I'm no longer rebel. I'm no longer fighting him. I'm no longer under the wrath of God. And I'm telling you, so much can be solved and stopped. And so many arguments could stop. If today as a believer in Jesus, you would just take responsibility for your behavior. It is not always someone else's fault. Perhaps at times, there could be a, a waiting, you know, 90, 10, 80, 20, perhaps. But even so, take responsibility for the 20. And the Lord will bless that. The Lord will use that. He will honor that. And, and even in the time where we have a marital discipleship and we have a couple in and it's him and it's her and it's him and it's her, what would I pray for is I just pray for a softness of heart. Because we're not going to make, I, I let it go for a little while. Until if it gets nasty and mean, I won't let it go. But if it's just expressing how they feel and what they have and going through and letting them talk about it, I'll let them go for a while. But in my heart, I'm praying two things. Lord, soften their hearts and let me, would you please give me ears to hear the point that I need to hang on to? Uh, just the point, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to come out in their comment? What is it that we can make one little step going forward? This is a much deeper thing than just a marriage. It's not just a marriage situation, blaming the woman, blaming the man, but rather man's separation. 
as he places blame on God, that's the separation. That's deep separation. It's your fault, God. It's not my fault. It couldn't be me. It's the woman you gave me. It's your fault, God. And you know, God will be a debtor to no man. It is not God's fault that you choose to sin. Uh, it is not, ever. It's never God's responsibility. Remember Adam and Eve, we, we touched this on a previous study. Adam and Eve had a real free will choice. And as long as they chose not to eat of the fruit, they enjoyed everything. And when they free, nobody forced them. Nobody took it and stuffed it in their mouth. And nobody blocked them in and starved them. So that was the only food available to them. They made a free will choice. And now they're dealing with the consequences of such. Then the attentions turned to Eve and speaking to her, drawing out from her, what is it you've done? And so, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, another deflection. And blaming is a natural response. But we don't want a natural response. We want to live in the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lust of our flesh. And one thing can stop the cycle today. One thing can stop the cycle. If you choose to confess your sins, immediately you will experience the faithfulness of God to cleanse you, the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll enjoy forgiveness. You'll enjoy freedom, even if it's just for the moment. A lot of times there is this sense of condemnation because you do confess your sin, and then five minutes later you're tempted again. And you go, well, I must have not done it right. No, it's time to confess again. You're learning how to walk in the newness of life. And it may be every five minutes. You go, but it's so weary, and I'm so tired and weary having to deal with this issue and deal with this thought and deal with, I know, but over time, as you do the hard work, over time, you're going to experience more of the victory. It's not your fault that all of these temptations and things, the enemy does shoot at you, but it is your fault if you mishandled them. So it's not your fault, temptation. Temptation is not sin. The damage we walk around with, the difficulties of our past, that, 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 that's unfortunate consequences of sin. And of course, it's maybe rooted directly to sinful decisions we made in the past. But God is ready to free you. He wants to you walk in freedom. But if you don't do the hard work, you don't respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, your heart will get hard, you'll get separated, and you'll, you'll be so much, you'll get so used to blaming that you'll blame God. That's one category of people, the prideful and arrogant. You know the other category of people? You'll blame yourself. Like you just make it all about you. And you just carry and heap, you know, loads and loads of guilt and shame upon yourself. But that's equally as bad because God has forgiven you. He loves you. So you wrestle with things. You, you wrestle with who you are and what your identity is. And, you know, all of that. You wrestle with things. That's part of the fall. But give God the glory for the victory you have. You, God has given you victory. You're, you're in victory. Yeah, but it's so hard and so tempted. I know, but you were walking in victory. Don't blame God. Don't blame others. But also don't blame yourself. Let God do the thorough work in you so that you can walk in the newness of life. So notice, here's the result, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, of course, this serpent being indwelt by the devil himself, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. You might notice if you have a New King James in your hand that her seed, the word seed is capitalized. Do you guys see that? That is a very particular seed, posterity. 
And if you're just taking notes, you can write next to it. That, that's a reference to Messiah. The enmity, enmity, the anger between the devil and the Messiah. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And as God declares these curses, he's declaring the natural inevitable consequences of sin. He's cursing the serpent as a reminder of this fall above all the cattle and every beast. He's going to slither forever. And there's going to be enmity between you and the woman. But more importantly, between your seed, those that follow you, he doesn't reproduce himself. These, those are that will adopt you and follow you and reject God. And her seed, she's the human, she reproduces herself. And through her, Messiah will come. So if you're taking notes, verse 15 is the first prophecy in the Bible. This is a prophetic word from God of what will happen in the future. Pointing to the coming of Messiah. It's the first messianic prophecy in the scripture. There's a lot of prophecy in here, but it's the messianic that's important. So that's the, the real centerpiece of the Bible is the Messiah. And this is a prediction that salvation will come. This passage sums up really the rest of the Bible and all the activity. But not only is it the first prophetic passage, Messianic prophetic passage, but let me introduce you to a new phrase. This is also the first proto-evangel. And what that is, is it's the first, it's the first hint or mention of the gospel. This is the first mention of the gospel. And you say, Ed, where is that, the first mention of the gospel? Well, that there will be enmity between your seeds, those that follow you, devil, in the demonic realm, the, the devil himself, and, and her seed, Messiah. And then notice, he's going to go after you, bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there is a, a hint at, just like we saw in chapter 1, we had a hint at, the fullness of the doctrine of the Trinity, where you have the Father and the Spirit of God hovering, now we have a hint, as, it, as progressive revelation comes and the whole Bible is written, we see it all now. But from this point, it's like God saying, in the curse, not all is lost. Not everything's going to be thrown. Not all is lost because there is hope. There is hope for you. More specifically... Again, getting a little bit deeper on Bible study here. More specifically, there is an enmity between the seeds. And this verse explains Satan's bloodthirsty desire to kill the coming Messiah by wiping out the Jewish race. And you may hear the, the desire to wipe out the Jewish race today. The phrase is anti-Semitism. This is where it was born, right here. The desire of the devil to wipe out the Jewish race, for the purposes of eliminating Messiah. For a lot of different purposes, of course, but primarily to end Messiah. And you can follow it. You can look, at, you can look this up. You can follow it along right here. The very first thing we see is Cain kills Abel. And then Pharaoh wants to kill all the male children of Israel. And then Haman launches a failed attempt to kill all the Jews. Then Herod wanted all the babies killed in Jerusalem. Jewish. These are all Jewish people. And then the people wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff and kill him right there. And then the storm on Galilee that almost shipwrecked the boat where Jesus was sleeping soundly in an attempt perhaps to kill Messiah. And of course, the ultimate attempt to kill Messiah was what? The cross. 
He went after all the bloodlines and all the people. And ultimately, it's like, no, let's just get them. I'll get them on the cross. And he did indeed bruise his head. But of course, in the resurrection, Jesus, he triumphed and he bruised the heel of the devil. And as the Bible says later on in the New Testament, the devil knows that he has a short time. He knows that he has a short time. So it's, it's, it feels as if that he's pulling out all the stops before the second coming of Messiah, before the rapture of the church. That's Pastor Ed Taylor, and this is Abounding Grace. We've been looking at Genesis chapter 3 in a message we've titled, The Curse Sin Brings. If you enjoyed the message, hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. You can search for that in the App Store or Google Play. Just look for Ed Taylor. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio and Internet every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our Lord and our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you a copy of Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. Some of the featured topics include the art of reproducing leaders, the one indispensable requirement of leadership, and the tests of leadership. Let this classic be your guide for leadership and see how God works through you to do great things for His glory. Request a copy right now by calling us at 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 